Judges chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 1. Judges 14 and 1. I'm reading from the NIV translation if you want to follow along. I think they'll throw it up on the screen for you. The Bible says, so Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. I don't understand this. My son does not talk to me like this. <laughs> Some wild stuff in the Bible. But his father and mother replied, they said, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? I'm like, again, with the your relatives. It's just like, okay, God, where are we going? <laughs> or among all our people, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? The Philistines are the enemy of Israel. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. He didn't know she was the wrong one, but the right one at the same time. Look what the Bible says. It says his parents, in parentheses, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. His parents had no idea that this request was from the Lord. I want to ask you the question. How many things are happening in your life right now that look like they are the total opposite of what God would do? Of what you think you know about God. But it's actually the will of God. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you over these next few moments, speak clearly to us. There might be some confusion in this room about who you are. We want to clarify that because you are not the author of confusion. You are the God of peace. And so we want people to leave tonight seeing you clearer. Because if we don't see you clearly, we will not be able to follow you closely. And it's our desire to follow you closely, Jesus. In your name we pray and everybody said amen. Man, I want to say this to you, and this is kind of the statement that's going to be the building block for the sermon tonight. And this is what I want you to hear. I want you to hear this. Being loved by God does not mean he will give you what you want. It means he will give you what you need the most. The Bible is such an incredible book in how it tells stories. And this story is one of the most incredible stories in the entire Bible, the story about Samson. The Bible says that Samson's birth is actually a miraculous birth. Like we talked about this morning, Samson's birth came at a time when his family was really struggling to, to have children. His mother was barren, and God supernaturally did this work. And Samson's life is a response by God to an issue that's happening in the earth. That's why I know that your life is not an accident, because you don't just sneak into here. Your life is actually a response to a problem that God sees in the earth. And then he shapes you and creates you in the womb of your mother just exactly the way you need to be so that you can solve the problem that you have been created to solve. Judges 13 and 5 says that Samson, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So he was created and designed to destroy the Philistines. But the problem that we see in this story is that Samson had fallen in love with the people he's called to destroy. 
That's an interesting thing for the deliverer of Israel to fall in love with the people that are ruining the lives of the people of Israel. I love Samson. I love his journey. I think it's powerful. It's full of faith, but it's also extremely tragic. It's a picture of how God will, even if you have to go to heaven with your hair missing and your eyes plucked out, how God will make sure that he gets out of you what he put in you. I love this about God. The Bible tells me that he who began a good work, Philippians 1 and 6, will be faithful to bring it to its completion. This is one thing you can count on. God doesn't know just how to start a thing. God knows how to finish a thing. And if he's got to bring you kicking and screaming, if he picked you, you've been picked, and there is nothing you can do about it. If he called you, you've been called, and there is nothing you can do about it. You can spend the rest of your life trying to run from him, and he will chase you down for the rest of your life. God will get out of your life what he put in your life. Whether you go along for the ride willingly (laughs) or he makes you, that's the question. Samson refused so often to go willingly. And Samson kind of reminds me of myself and us very often. God, one, one scholar, he said, he said, God made us in his image. But unfortunately, we return the favor. Why is that? It's because we want a God. We want a God that looks like us, thinks like us, acts like us, votes like us. Likes the same music we like. Because a God that looks like me, thinks like me, and acts like me can't correct me. Because everything I like, he likes. And everything I've got a problem with, he has a problem with. But Mark tells me, he says, he said, have faith in God. Faith, first of all, faith does not get me what I want. It's not a way I push God to do what I want him to do. It's not a way that I twist God's arm to make God do what I want him to do. Faith doesn't alter the will of God. Faith gives me what he wants for my life. Listen to me. It's not possible. It's not possible to get more than what God has for you. But it is possible with a lack of faith to have less than what God has for you. The Bible teaches that God wills that all men were saved, but not all men are saved. This is what I think. When I read this story and I look at our lives, I think very often when we read something like have faith in God, we think maybe we've got a faith problem, but maybe in reality we have a God problem. Maybe my problem isn't that my faith is jacked up. Maybe my problem is that I've created a God that is not the God of Scripture. And so I'm frustrated with a life God never promised me I could have. And I'm frustrated because I see things that are happening around me that I thought God was going to keep me from. I thought grace was this ability God would give me to get around all my problems. I didn't realize that grace was, a, was, was an ability God gave me to walk right through my problems. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not a grace that walks around the valley of the shadow of death, but there is a grace that takes me right through the valley of the shadow of death that causes me not to be afraid Come on, man. So maybe our problem isn't always a faith problem. Maybe we've got a God problem. Maybe we have formed a God in our mind and created a God because of our circumstances that isn't the God of the Bible. 
And this, this usually is not the God that we've discovered through encounter. Usually this is the God that we've been taught. Man, we have, I, this is why I'm so thankful that you're here at City Light because one of the, one of the, one of the responsibilities that Pastor Jabin has as your pastor is to help correct a lot of bad teaching that many of you have received throughout your lifetime. Some of you have come here and you have unlearned some bad teaching. Is there anybody grateful? Come on for sound teaching and sound doctrine. We're not teaching the God of our feelings. We're not teaching the God of our circumstances. We're teaching the God of the Bible. And the will of God, listen to me, the will of God was actually never meant to please you or to fulfill you. Sometimes the will of God makes you mad. Sometimes the will of God makes you want to cuss. Sometimes the will of God makes you want to run in the opposite direction. God's will was never meant to make you happy and fulfill all of your dreams. Jesus didn't die, by the way, for the American dream. He didn't die for your nice house and your white picket fence and your dog named Fido. He died for his dream. He died to redeem you and buy you. You belong to the Lord. Your body is not your own, the New Testament tells me. You have been bought with a price. God's will, man. God's, I want God's will. Well, I don't know if you want God's will. Because God's will is meant to draw you to the place that you need to be so that you can do what he wants you to do. It's not problem free. So I need you to understand that even when things go wrong, Things could be right. Because God, he, he's not like confused when you made the biggest mistake of your life. You realize that he was actually prepared. He's, he's alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's already been where you're going and he's already saw what you did before you ever did it. So he, the Bible even teaches me for every temptation, he's already provided a way of escape. He, God is not winging this thing, church. God is, is specific. And, and here's what we have to come to grips with. Our definition of good and right are not always the same as God's definition of good and right. Think about this for a second. I, I, as I read this, this story... I can't get past the parentheses. They just kind of throw it in there. The parentheses say, Samson wanted this Philistine woman. He felt like she was the right one for her. His parents can't believe that he can't find a wife among his own family and relatives. I'm like, I don't want one for my family either. This ain't West Virginia. Okay. <laughs> So he thinks, he thinks he's doing the right thing. His parents think he's doing the wrong thing. And even though, listen to me, even though he's doing the wrong, or the, even though he's doing the wrong thing in the sense of what his parents see, and even though he thinks he's doing the right thing in the sense of how he sees everything, all of this somehow equals out to God's plan. 
Why? Because the Bible says this was all ordained by God because God was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. Now, what happens in this story? This story is, gets really strange. These two end up getting married. And they're celebrating the wedding. And at the wedding, Samson has all of these new friends that have been assigned to him. And Samson was a guy who really liked riddles. And so he gives these guys a riddle at the wedding. And he says, listen, if you can answer this riddle, I'll give you clothes. We'll go shopping at Off-White. We'll go, we'll go to Louie and get you a bag and everything. He, this is his promise. But if you can't solve the riddle, then you have to buy all the stuff I was going to buy for all of y'all. You got to buy the same amount for me. This is a, this is a heavy price that they're going to have to pay if they can't solve this riddle. And so they go for days unable to solve this riddle. And they get frustrated. And so they go to Samson's wife. And they're like, listen, if, if, you, don't, if you don't get this riddle, out, the answer to this riddle out of him, this is going to cost us big time. And she goes to Samson, and he won't tell her, and she just keeps pleading with him. And then finally he gives in, because Samson's, Samson's issue was Samson kept falling for manipulative women. I don't know what his issue was there. That's a whole nother message. But, <laughs> but he, so he finally gives in, and he gives her the answer to the riddle, and then the guys come to Samson, and they're like, we know what the answer is. This makes Samson so angry that he ends up leaving his wife there, and going back home to his family. Now, while he is home with his family, they decide to give his wife to one of the guests at the party. Oh, Lord. So Samson, who didn't want to divorce her, he just wanted some space, comes back to get her, finds out she's been with somebody else, and he's angry. And the Bible says that he gets so mad that he goes and he gathers a bunch of foxes, ties their tails together, sets them on fire. This man is mad. Because this, is like, this is like planning type stuff. This is just like I lost my cool and hit a windshield. No, this is like he is planning. This guy's psychotic. He's tying foxes together, setting them on fire, and letting them run through the fields and destroy their crops. He's angry. And then because they're like, oh, gosh, we've offended Samson. What are we going to do? They, bunch of dummies, they, they kill his wife and her father. Well, this enrages Samson to the point, this is where you see the story where he gets so mad that he picks up the jawbone of a donkey and he kills a thousand men. This story is so important for us in our understanding of what God is doing in our life because God put Samson in a marriage that was never meant to work. Hold up. So, so I serve a God that will allow me to get myself in situations that he knows are going to end bad. Absolutely. Because for Samson, it was the only thing that would bring him out of his love for the Philistines 
into the purpose that he was called to, to destroy the Philistines. I need you to understand that sometimes God allows stuff to happen in your life not because he's mad at you. He's just trying to provoke you into your purpose. See, I found this out about God. God doesn't just use my friends. God uses my enemies. He uses the people that lied about me. He uses the people that betray me. You know what? This Christmas, I think we should send all of our haters, all of our enemies a Christmas card and thank them that you thought you were taking me away from God's purpose. You didn't realize you were shoving me right into it. You done made me mad. Now I'm angry. Now I'm stepping into my calling. I was just kind of chilling and you provoked me. Now it's, it's over. <laughs> I love this because it didn't just make him angry. It didn't just make him angry. It made him creative. Who... See, because there's stuff that's locked up in you until you get mad enough. There's stuff that is deep down inside of you until you get pushed enough. There's stuff that isn't going to come out of you until you get provoked to the point where you're like, I'm tired of the comfort level that I've been living in. I'm tired of this normal life that I've got. I'm tired of things always working out this way. I'm tired of falling into the same old mess and the same old relationship and getting involved in the same old stuff. I want something to change in my life. And I feel like I'm in a room full of some people tonight who are just a little bit angry. I'm just a little bit frustrated. I just want something. To, I, there's just something that's making me, it's riling me up tonight. And the devil doesn't even understand what he's doing. He's so stupid. Because he keeps doing it. He keeps provoking people thinking that it's going to make us walk away from the call that's on our life. He thought trouble was going to make you run away. He thought difficulty was going to make you run away. But look at you. You defied all the odds. You shouldn't be in this room tonight. Some of you should be dead. But you're in this room tonight. And you're not in this room tonight because your life was easy. You're not in this. Easy didn't make you. Trouble made you. Difficulty made you. You're not in this, in this room tonight because life has been so good to you. You are here tonight because life has thrown some stuff at you that would have killed somebody else, but it just made you mad. Somebody else would have taken their ball and said, I'm going home, but you got mad. Come on, somebody. Faith is not about changing God's mind. It's about coming into alignment with God's mind. Next is four. God is calling Moses and Moses says, God, I mean, could you not have picked anybody else? Like the thing you're asking me to do involves a lot of talking. And God, I, I don't talk good. <laughs> I don't. I, I'm slow of speech. I've got an issue, Moses says. And I love God's response. God says, Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I? See, when you, when you actually read the Bible and study the Bible instead of watching Christian TV all the time, <laughs> you start to discover a God you knew didn't actually exist. You were like, I never knew that God existed. I never knew that 
You're telling me God could be, could it be God? Could it be you're blaming the devil? Could it be you've given him more authority in your life than God? Could it be you've given the enemy more sovereignty over your existence than the God who shaped you and formed you in the womb of your mother? So God says to Moses, I'm the one who made you slow of speech. But I, I thought, God, I thought if you really needed me to talk, you would have made me, you would have created me gifted to speak. No, what, what you misunderstand is I, I don't work. I'm like Omar said, I, so much of what I do is contrary to the way the world thinks. As a matter of fact, I, I don't, I, that's, why, that's why I don't use many wise people. That's why I don't use many strong people. That's why, that's why the wisdom that I have, it, it, it actually just blows the world's minds away because they can't understand, they can't reconcile. How could God use somebody that can't even talk to deliver such a powerful message? Oh, you, you missed the point. You, you thought it was going to be my strength that was going to deliver the people. You thought I was going to do that in my own power. No, 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 God says it's going to be my power it's not going to be by your might by your power but it's going to be by my spirit it's going to be something that when people look at you they're going to look and say that could not have happened would not have happened and should not have happened unless God was actually involved in this situation I'm telling you God just wants to get the glory out of your life wow well what about suffering I thought Jesus died so we wouldn't have to suffer. <laughs> Did you read the Bible? <laughs> Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But do not be afraid, for I have overcome the world. He would say stuff like, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Most of the disciples died horrible deaths. So I don't know where we get this crazy idea that Jesus died so we wouldn't have to suffer. As a matter of fact, Peter said in 1 Peter 4 and 19, he said, so then who, those who suffer according to God's will. Again, what is that? <laughs> suffer according to God's will. Who makes people mute? Who makes them deaf? deaf? Who makes them blind? Who makes them... Suffer according to God's will? This is good news, man, because it means that... That God is not just responsible for my life when I'm on the mountaintop. It means when my life is in the darkest, lowest location you could possibly imagine, he is still there. Jonah said, I cried out from the depths and he heard me. Anybody in the room ever had to cry out from the depths? So he says, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. First Peter 2 and 21 said Christ suffered for you, leaving you, an, as, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Romans 8, 17 says if we suffer with him, we shall be glorified with him. I remember someone so angry. They were just so angry over the fact that, that God wasn't healing someone in their family. And they just stopped believing in God because they just could not. They, I can't serve a God who would allow this to happen in my life. And I'm like, you, you have created a false God 
who, first of all, doesn't owe any of us anything. Doesn't. Second of all, even as you read through Scripture, Jesus' ministry is very interesting at times. There were times, there's one time in particular that Jesus goes to a place in John chapter 5 where this pool is being stirred up. And if the people can make it into the pool as the angel is stirring up the pool, they can be healed. And Jesus walks into a crowd of probably hundreds, possibly thousands of people. And he walks by all kinds of people. And he makes his way over to this one guy who he has to ask the guy, do you want a miracle? Explain that. How does that make sense in our God owes me mentality or God heals everybody or God always does the same thing with everybody? Explain that. Why did God pass through, pass by dozens, hundreds, possibly thousands of people to reach one man? It's amazing, isn't it? When we read the Bible, we start to see, oh, my gosh, I thought. I thought this, and because I thought this, I developed a thinking about God that limits me in my trouble when trouble was never intended to be a limitation to the believer. Sickness was never intended to limit you. There's a, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus, is, his disciples, they're kind of walking through town, and they see this guy who's born blind, and the disciples go, hey, Jesus, who sinned? Whose fault is it that that guy was born that way? Jesus says, nah, man, this, this happened so that the glory of God could be revealed in his life. You mean to tell me God allowed that to happen to that man so that God could encounter him that day in that moment? You mean God is in control like that? Yes, he is. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23, just to give you a little bit more Bible. The Apostle Paul, who had an incredible healing ministry, he tells his son in the faith, Timothy, he says, hey, man, um, I need you to stop drinking only water. I'm like, I'm down with this scripture. Continue. And he says, and use a little wine. Uh, even better. Let's just keep talking. But he goes on to say, he says, because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. This is the Apostle Paul talking to his son in the faith. He doesn't send him a letter and say, hey, you know what, Timothy? You need to get your faith up. You, you know what, Timothy? If you, if you would go on a fast, maybe you wouldn't have all these stomach problems. You know, Timothy, if you really trusted God, you wouldn't have this issue in your life. <laughs> oh, my God. I need to help somebody in this room today who thinks that, that you're sick because God is judging you or you're, you're sick because God took the hedge off of your life. Listen to me. I need you to hear this. The story of Job is an interesting story, but the story of Job is not a new covenant story. The story of Job is a story about a heaven that doesn't have an intercessor. When, when, the, when the enemy is talking to God, the enemy is talking directly to God. There's not an intercessor. The Bible says that the work that Jesus performed actually caused the accuser to be hurled down. So the idea that Satan is up in heaven right now having a conversation with God about you and me is ridiculous. Can't happen. There's an intercessor. Jesus forever lives to make intercession. 
So, so Job is a story of, of the devil accusing Job without a Jesus to stand in and say, hey, 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 listen, there's no need to even test Robbie. Why? Because I already passed the test for him. There's no, you don't even have to test Robbie like that because I've already passed that test. Take my grade. And this is, this is the one thing that, that I found out about God too, that, that when I ask for forgiveness, and I, I've, I've failed big time and I turn to God and I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm not, the picture is not that Jesus is up in heaven like holding God off. Like he's just wanting to just pounce me and just jump on me and hit me. And Jesus is like, no, nah, man, take it easy, bro. I'm Jesus. His hair flicking in the wind. He's like, it's me, man. Don't look. Look at me. You know? That's not the picture. You know what? The Bible, when it says Jesus forever lives to make intercession for us, you know what that means? That means that when Jesus talks to God, Jesus is simply asking God to give us what belongs to him. He's not asking God to give us another chance. He's saying, God, would you give him what's coming my way? That's why I have an expectation that God is going to do something unique no matter what I'm going through. Because I'm not expecting the worst. I'm actually expecting what belongs to Jesus. I'm expecting God to do for me what belongs to Jesus. The Bible says I'm an heir of Christ. I'm a joint heir. So whatever belongs to him belongs to me. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 19 through 20 says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, Paul says, in the household of Onis Onisiphorus. <laughs> it says, Erastus stayed in Corinth and left Trophimus sick in Melita. No wonder he's sick. He got Miletus. <laughs> I don't know. It's not real. That's not what it said. I'm just messing. <laughs> it sounds like this verse sounds like I'm back in a sex ed class and they're naming all the things I should be afraid of. You, you definitely don't want Onesiphorus. Like, that's the bad one. <laughs> so strange. But he said, he, Paul said, I left this dude. I was with him. I left him there sick. Paul. There's something we should always remember when we pray about any matter in our life. We must remember that the Lord accomplishes his purposes his own way. And we must submit to his right to do whatever he wants. Romans 5, 3 through 5, we'll end here. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. The worship team can come back up. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials. When these things happen in your life, why? Because it's producing perseverance in your life. I don't want a faith that just trusts God for big things. I want a faith that trusts God for a long time. I want a faith that perseveres. The Bible says that type of faith, it will not be put to shame. And I want to say this to you before I let you go. God does not test your faith to punish you for your past. God tests your faith to prepare you for your future. It could be discipline, but it's not punishment. 
Bible teaches us that perfect love casts out all fear because the one who fears still is concerned about punishment, judgment. But on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for all of my sins, my past sins, my present sins, the sins I haven't even committed yet. Jesus paid for all of them. So he could be disciplining me, but he's not punishing me. Punishment is judgment. Discipline is love. The Bible says that if he disciplines you, you should be happy about it. It means he loves you. My son would come home from basketball all the time, and he would just like go on. Dad, the coach, just, he just won't stop getting on my case. He's really hard on me, and he's, he's really focused in on me. It's like he's decided I'm going to be the person that he's going to pick on. And he's like, I just, I'm, I'm so tired of it. And I said, listen, son, you should be frustrated by that. You should be frustrated when the coach stops talking to you. Because if he stops talking to you, that means he doesn't see any more possibility for growth. And the very reason that he's talking to you, and sometimes he talks to you sternly, and sometimes he points you out, is because he knows there's more in you. And can I say to you that trials are a trust that God gives God trusted you with that because he knew anybody else would have quit. But it just made you mad. Anybody ready? Come on. That God would even use the things that look like they're the furthest thing from his will for his will. Anybody want to stand on their feet today and say, thank you, God, that my whole life is yours you know everything about me, the ins and outs, the ups and downs, all of it. You've seen it all. You know it all. And you have still called me. You have still chosen me. You are still using me. We make so much about the past. God comes to us. I want to, but God, you don't. You see my record. You see what I did. Do you know what I've done, somebody like me, and we just want to keep talking to God about something he doesn't even remember. God's like, I'm trying to open your eyes to the future. Can we stop talking about what you've done? And can we talk more about what he has done? Can we stop talking about where you come from? And can we start talking more about where you are going? Come on, man. Like, but we, become, we, we, we get so obsessed with our past. We obsess over something God isn't even thinking about. And I tell you all of this because, listen to me, what you need for your future is different than what you needed in your past. What kept you alive in one season could actually destroy your life in another. Just like a baby... In the womb of the mother, the water in that womb, you can survive. You, matter of fact, you thrive in that womb. The water is what gives you life. That whole situation, that whole environment is giving you life. But now outside of the womb, if you try to stay underwater that long, it'll kill you. So you need something different in this season of your life than you possessed in a previous season of your life. 
And so God tests your faith because it's not about your past, it's about where he's taking you because he wants you to know you can't carry what you carried into your future. You need something different in your future. Peter steps out of the boat and he starts to walk on water. But as soon as he sees the storm rising up and the waters moving around him, he starts to sink. He gets back in the boat and Jesus doesn't give him a hand for walking on water. He's not like, man, good job, you walked on water. Do you know why I know walking on water was not the point of the entire story? Because nobody had ever done it up to that point and nobody has done it since. Walking on the water was not the point. The point was, is the faith that kept him alive in one season wasn't enough for the season that he was about to enter. And so when Jesus got back in the boat, he rebuked his faith. Not, it's, it's not, God isn't looking for faith that jumps out of the boat. God is looking for a faith that keeps our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. God isn't even asking you to finish your faith. He just wants you to keep your eyes on him. Come on, is there anybody in the room tonight who would say, Jesus, I'm keeping my eyes on you. You'll finish what you started. You will complete what you began. You are faithful. You are faithful. I've discovered, God, that you are faithful. And I keep my, I keep my attention on you. I turn my eyes to you. And I look to you in this time of my life and many of our lives that are in this room today. We're going through things we don't understand that don't make any sense that seem so far away from God's plan. God, our eyes are still on you because you are sovereign over our lives. We belong to you. We are in the palm of your hand. Nothing can separate us from you. So on my good days and on my bad days, in my highs and in my lows, you are still my God. You are still looking after me. You are still working your plan in my life. And I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If there's anybody in this room tonight who would say, Robbie, man, I need a relationship with God. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never made him Lord of your life. Or maybe you're in this room tonight. You would say, Rob. Man, I feel so far away from God sometimes, and maybe it's because of the circumstances in my life that I feel this way, but I want to make a declaration tonight. God, I'm, I'm coming home to you. I'm giving you my life back. I'm turning my eyes back towards you. I'm, I'm taking my focus off of what's happening in the world, and I'm putting my focus back on you, Jesus. If that's you, you want to give your life to Jesus, or you want to dedicate your life to him tonight, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, can you just throw your hand up in the air, and we're going to pray together. And I believe that God is going to supernaturally change your life forever. If that's you, one, two, three, throw that hand up in the air. I see you. I see you all over. I see you. I see you. Come on, hands way up. Hands way up so I can see you. I see you. Awesome. I see you. Come on, let's put our hands together for all of those that have raised their hand. I see you. Come on, God sees that hand. Let's pray this prayer together. Let's all say this. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you mine. Take all of it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. I love you. Thank you so much for saving my life.
In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, and everybody said amen. Come on, I think we're going to worship a little bit. Let's put our hands together and just praise the Lord.